Hello, everyone, and welcome to the leadership show called My Great Aunt Edna. The show speaks about excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts and accountability. I'm your host, Mac McNeil, and today's guest is retired Lieutenant Colonel Sean Lott of the United States Army. He's currently the vice president of global sales for Intercon, and he's a staunch believer in accountability. You hear about Sean's interesting journey from being a military dependent in Germany to finally being in his corporate position today. Enough said. Let's get to it. and welcome to this episode of my great aunt Edna, the leadership show about excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts and accountability. This is your host, Mac McNeil, and I'm here today with a special guest by the name of Sean Lott. And before I introduce Sean, I need to tell you guys how we know each other. So Sean and I go way back, like stacks and Jerry curls and afros way back. So we went to high school together back in Fulda, Germany, uh, I won't tell you the year because that will give our age, but I will tell you that we both know Shaquille O'Neal. Um, Sean's actually a little bit of a celebrity, so if you've watched Shaq Life, you've seen him on there before. Again, I don't want to give it all away. I'll let him talk about it, but let me formally introduce you all to Sean Lott and explain why I have him on the show today. So Sean Lott is the Vice President of Global Sales and Marketing, and he served over 24 years in the United States Army. Whoa, have to throw mm -hmm. that in there retiring as a lieutenant colonel in 2016. He held leadership positions from the platoon to battalion levels, as well as executive staff positions. Lott joined Intercon in January 2020 to lead the company's business development efforts within the defense industry. In 2021, Sean's leadership responsibilities were expanded, and he now oversees Intercon's global sales division with services in over 110 countries. He holds a master's degree in leadership studies from the University of Texas, El Paso. And with that, let me turn it over and let uh, Sean introduce himself to the rest of the listeners of my great Aunt Edna. First of all, I want to thank you for, for having me and inviting me to this, this platform. I'm very, I'm, I'm an admirer of what you're doing. Um, you. I consider you a, a friend, a mentor, and a brother. So I really appreciate um what you're doing because I know it, it takes a lot to to follow your dreams and pursue your 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 goals and what you want to do in life and and it's, it says a lot about a person that, that actually does it and is doing it so my my hats off to you in that regard um yeah you, you basically summed it up all I um I graduated in Germany uh over there I was over there with, with Mac and uh yeah we we had Jerry curls he might have had stacks I didn't have stacks but uh I have I probably had Chuck Taylors or something like that uh, but yeah we graduated I graduated from Germany I had a um a walk-on uh, letter to go to Mississippi State or Maryland I chose Mississippi State because my family is from Mississippi for the most part uh Mac and I are both military brats so uh for me I didn't necessarily have a, a home state to go to so I chose Mississippi State I got to Mississippi State. It was so hot and humid uh, when we were doing conditioning drills. I tapped out. That was enough for me. And so they ran, they ran me away. 
Uh, at the time, I was a pre-dental major, and I, I'm saying this because my um, my my first stint at college wasn't so great. So I think I, my first semester, I probably had like a 0.69 GPA or something like that. And then uh, my second semester, I raised it to like a 1.2 or something. Um, and I was my my major was pre-dental. Uh, I didn't pick it. My mom picked it because she wanted me to be a doctor. So I was like, well, if I'm gonna be a doctor, I might as well be a dentist. So hey, I picked dentist. So. I wasn't necessarily following my passion. I was following what she wanted me to do. So, so that didn't work out so well. So then uh, my dad was like, well, you're not coming home. I don't know where you're going to go, but, but you're on your own. So I was like, okay. So I just picked up the phone and I called a recruiter. So I got two of my buddies. I was like, hey, let's join the military. They're like, oh yeah, that'd be a great idea. So the three of us went down to the recruiting station. We go through the medical screen and all that stuff. So both of them get medically disqualified disqualified but me I'm, I'm like fit for duty so so they send me right away and I, I joined the military in 1988 and um, and never looked back uh, the first couple of years I thought I was just going to do like a three-year stint and 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 go about my way but I I started drinking the Kool-Aid so to speak and I really enjoyed the camaraderie that the military offers and the teamwork and the team building and it was kind of like playing football but within in combat boots if you will if you can appreciate that analogy and uh, during my time, I, I just re-enlisted. I was going to become a non-commissioned officer because uh, I was promotable at the time. And then the Green to Gold program came out, which was brand new to the military. And my father called me up and, and he was like, hey, you heard about the Green to Gold program. My dad was a command sergeant major or sergeant major at the time. Like, no, I haven't. He's like, well, get your butt down to the education center and and find out about it. So I went down to the education center, had to complete a this this huge uh, packet. Yeah, back then you had to like type it out. If you made a mistake, you put like the little white out piece of paper in there to white it out. So that was took me all day to do that. And then I had to take the ACT test. So I took that and 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 submitted it and didn't think anything of it. About two months later, I'm out at the National Training Center at Fort Orwin doing uh, uh, combat maneuver training. And the the battery commander called me up on the radio and he's like, hey, get down here a lot. I need to see you. So immediately when somebody calls you like that and I'm like, well, she, like either I'm in trouble or somebody got hurt or something, there's some kind of issue. Um, so I went down there and he's like and I had a like a do rag on my head because then I had hair. So I had do rag on my hair and because sweat was coming down because we were in the desert. And I go to see him and I take off my my ballistic helmet and um, he's he sna his name is Mike Quinn. He snatches the do rag off my head. And he's like. You won't be needing that anymore. And I said, what are you doing? Like, why do you, uh, what are you messing up my hair for? And he's like, uh, you won't need that because you're going to be an officer. I'm like, what? He's like, you're going to be an officer. I'm like, I don't understand. I don't get it. I completely forgot that I even submit the pa submitted the packet. I didn't think anything of it. He was like, you remember that, that uh, packet that you submitted? And he's like, yeah, you, you got it. You got the scholarship. So as soon as you get done training out here, you're going to go back. You're going to immediately chapter out of the Army and go to school to Tuskegee University for on a four-year ROTC scholarship. Wow. And it happened just that fast, just that fast. So I show up to Tuskegee, go to school, um, did great there, uh, went back in the military, said I want to be an air missile defense officer. So I did that for close to 25 years, had an ex extraordinary career, wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, my last duty assignment was in Washington, D.C., and woke up one morning, looked over at the wife, and I was like, oh, it felt like that scene from Forrest Gump where he's running on that bridge, that long beard. That was me. I was on that bridge in my head running, and I woke up. And I'm like, it's, it's time to retire from the military. And went in and then dropped my paperwork and retired. And my wife was like, well, what are we going to do? I'm like, I have no idea. So we, we packed up the car, we put our stuff in storage, and we just traveled to the United States for 40 days. 
just looking for 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 a place to be and a place to stay. So we went from East Coast to West Coast, looking at places and different friends were telling us randomly to stop in Huntsville, Alabama. So we did that on the way back and that was the best advice we could have ever taken. So we got here, either one of us had jobs, careers, nothing. Um, and we we put, put roots down here and she got a job first actually uh, working for the Missile Defense Agency. And then I started working about seven or eight months there after that um, in the civilian sector. And so that was my first exploit into like the, the, the civilian culture and world of uh, professionalism outside of the military. So I was wearing combat boots when I was 18, all the way up to like, when you told us not to tell our age for all the way up to, you know, 40 ish something, you know, somewhere uh, in there. Everyone can guess. I know you look young. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to, yeah, I try to hide the gray. <laughs> I've seen the gray. All of my secrets, but yeah. <laughs> That's an amazing story, man. And, uh, you know, I've known you forever and I just learned some things that I didn't know about you about you know the story of the green to gold knew about tuskegee great hbcu organization yeah. um knew about you know you being an officer but the story of how you got there and then uh you know some of the accolades that you've had and you're you're very humble you didn't mention any of those but i'll get to some of my questions here maybe i can bring some of that out of you so everyone can understand what a great leader you are and why you have why i have you on today so first question for you sir is you know, you've been an officer in the United States Army with great scopes of responsibility. Uh, would you say that the examples of leadership that you have learned from the most are from your military experience or the experiences that you've had in the corporate world? Um, I would say just based off longevity, I would have to default to the military since I had almost 25 years of, of leadership experience starting at the, the platoon level, which is about 30 some odd soldiers that you had to uh, coach, teach, mentor, manage, so to speak, uh, all the way up to the battalion level, which is about, it was a hybrid of soldiers and civilians uh, of about 1,200, 1200 folks. Uh, so there's a whole uh, smorgasbord of leadership issues and challenges that are associated with those uh, smaller and large type organizations. Now that said, I've learned a lot too in the short period of time. It's been uh, what what six going on seven years now that I've been in the civilian sector, and I've had four separate jobs uh, since uh, landing at my company that I'm currently at Intercon, uh, and I've been with them for almost three years. But I've learned uh, different. It's a different culture, a different mindset, a different. Um, way to influence that I found out uh, in the civilian sector than I would do in the in the military sector. Uh, the military, it's it's uh, I would say it's easier because of the the hierarchy and the rank structure and what you are trained to do and trained to execute as long as you have trust and confidence in your in your buddies and your teammates and in your your organization. Uh, everybody comes together pretty pretty quickly, especially when it comes to a matter of, of life and death. I mean, when you're talking about you have to train as you fight in order to, to fight in some mm -hmm. foreign land somewhere in order to survive, you're only going to go with the folks that are around you. Well, in the civilian sector, it's really not that serious when it comes to that. So it's no, it's it's not like a, a, a life or death type of situation. So there's there's a different way on how to motivate and influence outside of the military and the corporate world that I find to be an interesting challenge. So it, it kind of motivates me because it, it makes me, it strips down what I know and have to reinvent myself in a different way in order to keep doing what I love doing, which is influencing 
uh, organizations. Yeah. So when and at what point in your life did you realize that you were a leader? Yeah, good question. I mean, that's like the proverbial um, were you born a leader or you made a leader type of, of question. And I, I used to teach at the Commander General Staff College and, and it was I, I taught leadership, organizational leadership there. And we would have that that debate in the classroom at times with field grade officers, which are, are majors and some of them are like lieutenant colonels in the, in the classroom. And there, you know, there's there's a side of the camp that's like, yeah, you're you're made a leader. You know, you're 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 born out of the womb. You come out and kind of learn. And you go through experience and you you kind of grow and you mature and you read and you you morph yourself into a leader. Well, I'm on the I'm on the side of the camp of you. People have innate abilities that I can't really put my finger on on what makes them a good leader. They have like intuition. Like, how do you? <laughs> develop intuition. I mean, you can right. have right. experience and develop it that way, but there's some things like, it's almost like Spider-Man. You get like these spidey senses of something that's about to happen or something you need to do or something you need to maybe decide upon or or not. Sometimes you need to pump your brakes and not, not rush to a decision because you sense that you need to let time kind of develop itself to so you have more information to make a more, a better, more informed, more, more informed decision. So I, I think if, uh, it's really like a hybrid because um, uh, I've seen folks that were in leadership positions that have all of the academia behind them and the experience yeah. behind yeah. them, but they they weren't effective leaders mm-hmm. because they, just, they, didn't, they were missing like certain key traits like human traits and attributes that you need to have to kind of reinforce what you've been through in order yeah. to be effective, in order to relate uh, to people because if you can't relate and influence them, then they they may do what you tell them to do, and then they become more of a compliant individual versus an individual that's committed where they got buy-in and they're going to like exceed all expectations because they're like committed to what it is that you're instructing them to do or you are strategically laying out for them to do, um, and they 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 excel that way. So I, I want the, the the committed individual, not the not just the compliant. I want one that's that's compliant, doing what you say you're going to do, but you're also committed because you're going to go above and beyond and exceed the organizational expectations. Yeah, you're so right. And I've seen that both in the military world and the corporate world. Yes. Uh, when I was in the Army, so young, I thought there was an Army issue. And I right, get out of right. the Army, get into the civilian world, it's like, oh, it's not an Army issue. It's a, <laughs> it's a people right. issue, you know? Not everyone's designed to be a leader just because you're smart or just because you have some institutional knowledge, but great point. Right. Um, so my next question is, I know that you're passionate about accountability, including personal accountability to your own private initiatives. You guys don't know this, but Sean works out probably every single day of his life. Uh, he may take two or three days off a year, I'm guessing. But what drove you to become a leader that is concerned about accountability? Well, um, the Army's definition of accountability is like to be responsible for performing the duties of your position. So it's like a so when you when you read it and you kind of parse it down, it's like you have to have self ownership of what it is that you agreed to do to be an effective member or part of that organization. So a lot of it is on the individual. Um, the the uh, the second part of that question is escaping me. Can you repeat that part? Yeah, so what drove you to become a leader that is concerned about accountability? Yeah, so how do you get to that point? Right. What I found out was is that that 
the ones that did not hold themselves accountable or weren't accountable to something, they were just kind of freelancing, were a drag on the organization. So they either had to get on board or get off board. So that's really the only two options. Um, and, and I know that's easier said than done from a leader perspective because you can, there's there's some folks that are that are salvageable. There's some other folks that I would consider to be like uh, I call them oxygen thieves. So they, they they go in and they like suck the air out of the the organization or the room. And if you let too much of that happen, you know the organization suffocates and it, and it dies uh, a slow death. Um, and so it it became one of those things for me where it it became an irritant. So it's like you know what if you're I'm accountable, I'm committed. But it's but it's a team. It's, it's not an individual sport. Even you know, even if you're a tennis player, and you're out there playing tennis. There's still a team that that makes up that player that you don't necessarily see them on the court, but they're in the stands. They're on the they're in the practice uh, practice court. You know, they may be making meals. They're in the gym doing your strength and conditioning training. I mean, it's, it's a team approach, and everybody has to be accountable to that player's success, or that player won't be successful. Well, it's to me, it's the same thing for an organization. Um, if you're not self-accountable, if you're not responsible for the things that you um, are signing up to do, then you you really become uh, counter to the organization. So then it, it kind of gets me kind of perked up, like, hey, okay, now what's uh, what's what's going on? Are you buying it, or are you just here to collect a, a check? I mean, some people just show up to be accountable physically just in order to get paid. Well, I don't want to be associated with those type of people because those are the oxygen things that I'm talking about where we're we're, we're, we're paying money, but the, the results that we're getting back, the return on that investment, so to speak, if that was a commodity, is not adding up. So then we got to make some changes. I like that metaphor, oxygen thieves. Yeah. Thank you. All right, so my next question is, did you instill the principles of accountability within your children differently? Than the soldiers that you led. Yeah, that's a hard question. Um, yeah, that's, that's very hard. Uh, when you when you talk from a soldier perspective, it's um, it's it's probably easier because you don't necessarily feel the the uh, internal pain or struggle immediately of what they're going through. Uh, versus like if it's your child I mean your child you're trying to hold them accountable and if you come down in a certain way where it devastates them you know they have that look on their face where they can show you immediately that you you hurt them or you're doing something to them that they don't necessarily like and then it pulls on your heartstrings a whole lot more and it's like okay wait a minute I need to back up regroup kind of readdress the situation in a way that's more more coddling um, for a soldier, I mean, you don't you never hear somebody, you know, in a leadership position in the, in the military talking about, I, you need to coddle your soldiers. If, you, if they do, they look at you kind of funny. Um, but I haven't said that. There's coddling that goes on in the military. We just don't call it that. We just, I mean, you, you take care of your soldiers. And a lot of times that is synonymous with coddling because, you know, we are a microcosm of society. So we're, we're bringing in whomever from all over the world into this organization and we're trying to morph them into, uh, I call them morphing it like transformers into Optimus Prime, into an Optimus Prime type of soldier. And some of them are, they do it quicker than others. Some of them don't do it at all. Uh, some of them, uh, they've never been drilled in such a way or trained or taught to in such a way where they can withstand that that verbal 
beratement or that immediate uh, correction uh, without them breaking. So and then you got to figure out, okay, what are you, what are their individual triggers, and then how does that relate to the overall organization? Because you don't want to stress uh, an organization so much in a in a negative way. So you don't want to distress an organization so much to where you it reached a point of fracture where it just breaks and it becomes non effective. Now, if you do it in a eustress perspective, then you are being more positive uh, because stress is good and eustress is, is the good kind of stress you want to have to strengthen our organization, to build up its resiliency so you can just do more and more and more. And as you change and make the organization better and you add more eustress as you go along, people get stronger and it's much like, like, like weightlifting, you know, building weights. That's why I like working out so much. I mean, you, you said, I miss probably three to five days a year. I would say probably it's probably about I'll, I'll give it a good two weeks over time. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm adamant about working out six days a week because I want to stress my my body, my muscle, and my in my my mind to to ensure that it's like no, I don't care how I feel. I need to lift heavy things over and over and over again because I want my body to know and understand that I'm in charge, not not you. Um, uh, I just don't want to be the 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 person that's you know that's struggling to get out of bed. You know, I have my moments. I'm saying that I'm I'm a robot or whatever, but uh, I don't want to embrace that lifestyle that I see uh, of, of folks not like you and I, but other folks, uh, you know, in our age group uh, yeah. that that they have the whole stereotypical you know where they can't they're not holding themselves accountable. So then they 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 kind of let themselves go. That's kind of the first thing they kind of set to the side because that's what's either been demonstrated before them or that's what they see on tv or it's the social norm it's like okay for you to have a dad bod you know it's it's cool or whatever well, like, well maybe i don't want to have a dad bod maybe i want to yeah. <laughs> try to look like i was 25 or whatever you know but more muscular whatever you know it's like you you want to do what you want to do and you, and you do it so you had to hold yourself accountable to do it and it's a struggle, you know, it's an internal struggle and it's an external struggle because you're going to have all these things pulling at you to to take you off of where you're trying to be. So mm -hmm. the same thing for soldiers, same thing for kids. But, yeah, it is a very, um, a very, uh, I say, different nuance when it comes to children just for that the emotional factor of things. Uh, because there's no soldier that can look at me in a in a in the way that my kids do, where I'm a, I'm gonna feel it like that. So uh, that can't even be it can't even come close. So so yeah, right. Putting it in your right, yeah. Because soldiers look at you, you want to the same emotions. Yeah. Right, right, right. So I, I, yeah. Another question: Do you think that there are any cons associated with holding people accountable? Any what? What was that? Cons. You know, there's pros to it. Oh. you think that they're cons, not convicts, cons. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what did you say? Okay. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the cons is when you hold people accountable, some people just don't want to be held accountable. So they fight you. So then becomes a, a struggle to, to get them to become accountable for the, for the greater good of the organization. Um, and those are the folks that you probably don't want them in your organization, but they could have the right, you know, the personality like, oh, wow, they 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 mingle well with the with the other employees. So they come off as being good teammates. 
they are very they're they're happy go lucky they're never like sad or they're they're not like bringing a depressed or debbie downer type of attitude in the organization so people just like to have them around but just because people like to have you around and you're not you're not accountable to yourself um uh the the con part is they're just again they're just there for different reasons than what the organization needs um, and I hate to make it and to impersonalize it and just make the focus on the organization, but people make up the organization. So if you don't have the people that are accountable, then the organization just will perish over time. So. Good now I'm going to ask you a personal question, like one of those deep spiritual questions coming at you. Uh-oh. So who do you think or who would you say is the single most important person in your life? that influence you to make you to become the leader that we're watching today? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. I often ponder that and it's hard to like single out somebody for it because it's just there's so many good things that people have to offer. I I really treat it like a, a buffet. So I go and I pick and choose the best attributes that I've, I've seen. And I observed from various different leaders everywhere. And it could be American, non-American. It, it doesn't matter to me. Um, I'm, I'm always looking for what it is that you have and what you're doing in a way in which you're doing it where I'm not, where I can probably use that to to better myself. Uh, without losing myself too, because um, I have seen people um, try to, they look at people and they they're like, man, you know, I want to model myself after this person. You know, I, I really like how they do things, and they really try to do that, they try to morph themselves into that individual. I'm like, well, you're not that person. So now you're coming off as like fake, phony, you're coming off as flippant. Everybody can kind of read through that, like, oh, you're trying to be so and so me or whatever. Nobody really buys into that. Um, so, I mean, first I would say my dad, I mean, he, he, he doesn't know that I, I probably wouldn't tell that, that, that to his face. I don't want his head to get extra big, but just observing <laughs> so him. Yeah. You say again? one in the family watches this, right? Oh, well, you know, they will. Yeah. I know they will. Well, yeah. We all want to be family and full to, so yeah. You know, What's, I know up, Natasha? What's up, Portia? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, um, you know, just observing his him being accountable to to his profession, which was the military. I mean, he was always, it seemed like he was always in boots. I mean, I from as long as I can remember, I've never recalling him not being in uniform, not being in a formation, or not being doing something that was military related. Um, I mean, it got to the point where I never wanted to be in the military because I was I, I just didn't I didn't want that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, I didn't. I remember I remember him doing physical training, PT, and and, and pulled at, at Downs Barracks, and I can look out my bedroom window over that football field that we played on, yeah. and they're in their banana suits doing PT out there at, at 5 o'clock in the morning, and waking me up. I'm like, dang, who would want to go out there every single morning? It's cold, and they're out there, you know, doing push-ups and sit-ups and running around. I'm like, that's miserable as I roll over in my blanket, you know, and, and get a few more hours of sleep. And then here I am, like, doing the exact same thing, you know, you know, I'm 20 or whatever years old, you know, I'm out there in my PT uniform and freezing and waking up at 4.30 in the morning and 
and getting that that accountability kind of like just beaten into me that this is something that you do day in and day out, and regardless of how you feel. Because I mean, almost every other day, you, you don't feel like getting up to do whatever because there's something that's aching or you had a long night the night before. So you're like hungover or whatever. You're like you never want to like actually go out and do it, but you go do it and you figure out how what kind of intestinal fortitude that you have as a result over time. I mean, you look back and like, man, I really did some like really crazy resilient things or things that made me more resilient today that I put myself through. Uh, that actually made me stronger. So like my dad, my 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 dad's father, my mom's father, my great grandfather, he was the first African-American veterinarian for the state of Mississippi. Um, and that's the story. Yeah, it was, it was crazy to me just looking at that because he was like a decade removed from 1865 when the Emancipation Proclamation was was done by uh, um, uh, President Lincoln. And the, the freeing of, of, of the slaves. And so he had to like flee Mississippi to go up north to go to school. And he had the choice to stay up north yeah. so he wouldn't be uh, uh, tracked down or persecuted or anything else just because he got an education. But he decided to go back to Devo, Mississippi and and work with a school there. It's called Piney Woods. It's still there to this day mm-hmm. to, to bring others along. And I sit there and think about that. I'm like, man, what a, what kind of accountability what kind of fortitude what kind of strength you must have as an individual to like you know what I'm, I'm 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 going to take myself out of this situation come hell or high water so what you know the ku klux klan is trying to track me down or these other folks are trying to stop me despite all these different variables i'm going to go back and i'm going to do this because i want to i want to improve uh, our family for for generations and when i think about stuff like that i'm like i have no reasons to like say I can't or I won't or or woe is me or whatever it's like no no I have I I have it pretty good and and a lot of it is attributed to 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 the family and the family lineage coming out of uh, of that type of situation I mean it's like 200 years of of repression going on that and and the the flip that and come out of it um is 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 remarkable and we're and we're still going i mean you got to pay it yep. forward and keep going and so and folks need to know and it's not just a um, african-american thing and i don't mean to make it's not about race it's more about accountability but it, it goes more it speaks more to the dynamic of the organization because the organization is made up of of societal individuals that have different experiences and you need to re- embrace everybody's experience in order to help them to be accountable um, because they're going to bring that into the organization. So you got to, it helps you to figure out their strengths, their weaknesses. So you can toggle that a little bit to, to maximize their internal internal potential, which invariably will help the organization. So well, this was an extremely inspiring story. It really was. And as you were speaking and you were saying, you know, hey, I don't really want to make this about race. It's not. It's all relatable. So this show is watched all over the world. And when I say all over the world, I literally mean that, like in a lot of different countries that I didn't expect to have influence in. But your words, I promise you, will resonate and with a lot of people who can trace it back to, you know, there's somebody in my family, someone who decided that accountability was important. Personal accountability is important and it's going to impact and change the future generations. And you and I are living examples that that actually works. 
you know, the yes. stories of your grandfather, your father, of course, you know, uh, met your father several times back in the day. Yeah. Um, and I see you now and I see your career and what you've accomplished and the life that you live now and the crazy birthday parties that you have, you know, that are elaborate, you know, with the Prince wig <laughs> on, you know, I don't want to tell everybody all your secrets out there, but, you know, getting serious. I mean, it's it's true. Someone that decided to accept and take accountability. And that's what my great on that talks about. And then there are positive results from it. So now I appreciate you sharing it. And I promise you it'll be an inspiration to many. So let's move into my last question. So my last question, my staple question, ask every guest the same question. It's as a leader, 2023, what one or two things just piss you off? What kind of shit pisses you off that you wish you could change? Yeah. Um... Well, first of all, it's that's a loaded question because there's there's a lot of things that really that really piss me off, um, and part of it is just because the uh, when you're when you're in a a a structured organization as the military, and I mean you you expect excellence at every turn because you know that people's lives depend on that degree of of knowledge, that degree of training, that degree of planning. I mean, it's just an expectation that you you need to have this. For these reasons and, and it could frankly it could be a matter of life or death so coming out of that uh what really pisses me off is when i don't i don't see that in others um and what pisses me off even more is if if you if you play lip service to it and but you never you never produce so that you're basically lying to yourself you're lying to me you're lying to the organization because you're just there for that check so that that really like gets underneath my skin because that's I don't I don't want to be associated with somebody who just you know wants the nine to five. Um, I want somebody that wants to figure out how they can make an impact, whether it be small or big, in an organization where it's, where it's sustained over years. I want some people that want I want people to leave their DNA in the organization so when people reflect back after they retired and be like you know so-and-so really made an impact in this area and this is where we got that from um you know i, I work at you mentioned intercom before I, you know intercom was established in 1975 by a guy named ed tangle and he's uh 91 this year um, and he still shows up to work every single day i mean because that intercon is his baby he's like our our senior advisor to the organization now um, but you can just imagine from 75 to now i mean look at at all the things that's happened in the business world for that little company to survive for, for 45, 46, 47 years doing what they do, which is power integration solutions uh, to survive all that turmoil and chaos uh, to be a, a bona fide company to this day, to me is remarkable. Um, and when you when I went to his office and I was doing an interview, I walked in and um, he's got like files just stacked up. I mean, it's like really like stepping back in like 19, 1978 or whatever. I mean, it's just like old school files everywhere, desk, you know, full of papers and whatnot. It's just crazy. So I go in there and I meet him and um, our president, Nick Kiever, was like, He's like, yeah, you can go ahead and just ask him any question. What did, you know, whatever you want to ask him, he'll he'll have it. I'm like. Okay, my head like, okay, really, he's gonna find. I mean, there's like literally thousands of papers in here. So I'm like, okay, I like. So one of the things that uh, uh, we're we're proud about is we are a tier three contractor with the Prime Power Unit for the TP2 radar that supports the the uh, terminal high altitude area air defense system, um, and we're underneath uh, Raytheon and and Milton Cat. 
so I knew that they, they you know, he had that program. So I was like, well, uh, I, can you show me like the the initial uh, quote for the for the prime power unit in the in the TP2 program? He's like, yeah. So he literally goes to a stack and it's like like this. I mean, it's it's, it's tall. I'm trying to replicate that, and just reaches in and grabs out and doesn't even look at it and goes, here you go. And so I'm like, it's like man, as I open it, I pull it up and sure enough, it was that. And it was like it's like David Blaine, the magician, you know, pulling something out. He's like, boom, here it is. I'm like, get out of here. I was like, what? And so, and then the next question was, he asked me, he's like, and so when are you going to shave? Because I, I had a beard because I just left the military. I didn't want to shave anymore. I was like, oh, let me go to the beard out or whatever. So he's like, well, you're going to get that hair off your face, you know? And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, when I get tired of, of wearing it, I'll, I'll get it off of my face. But, you know, I hope that's not a showstopper. Um, but yeah, and then just walking around, just seeing the people that make up that organization and know what an impact that me and others can make um, with that little company and just to keep his legacy going really kind of ignited my fire. Um, Cause I was like, you know what? His, his DNA is all over this place. You can see it, you can smell it. You can tell they embody exactly what he wanted to do, which would be a service to others. Um, and, and, and that's what they were doing. I mean, and they were, it's got that mom and pop type of feel that mom and pop type of vibe but the 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 flash the bang so to speak for success you can immediately see it so when when something here you immediately see it on the on the people's faces over here so it's not big too big to where you kind of things get lost and people don't know where they kind of fit into the organization so i really like that aspect of um of intercon and, and small business life. Um, yeah, so yeah, what really yeah, back to pissing me off is yeah, somebody that doesn't exhibit those those traits and hold to it and sit up there and and, and say that they're doing it, but don't, and you can't count on them to come through. Those are the ones, the non-accountable ones, the oxygen thieves ones are the ones that like yeah, all right, you, you're going to probably have to go at some some point in time. Yeah, yeah. you that is external. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll put together a 60-day plan. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, but I appreciate you sharing all of this, man. Uh, I really do. I appreciate your time. Uh, speaking to the Aunt Edna nieces and nephews out there is what I call them. People that are passionate and eager about leadership and you know what we need to do to get better, striving for that spirit of excellence. I know you embody that in your personal life, uh, your professional life. So, you know, one of the perfect guests to be on the show. So I really appreciate this, man. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. And I'm proud to be an aunt and a nephew. Uh, I'll wear that with a badge of honor. Uh, as soon as you get T-shirts or whatever you're going to do next, I'll, I'll be sporting that too. So, uh, and, I, and I'll definitely spread the good work. I, I think it's an excellent forum. It's a good way to share information and learn and grow. And if you're not, if you're not, Taking it upon yourself to 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 learn and to study and listen to others uh, and hear their wisdom, um, then you're you're going to be stagnant. And stagnant people they never they never progress. They never get anywhere. They just I mean that's why they're stagnant. I mean, they're just they they just, they flatline. They're just still. Um, so you always got to do that. You got to be a life learner. So I appreciate you doing it. This is easy for me to like get on here and, and listen to you and, and can't wait for your book to come out because that's going to be an excellent read it says high on my list because uh, as soon as it comes out all the other books i got lined up go to the back burner and that goes straight to the top 
and I definitely want to check that out and, and look forward to sharing it to with the world and helping you helping you spread the message. So yeah, I'm really yeah. proud, really proud of you. Um, appreciate you. Yeah. I love you. Yeah, love you too, man. Yeah. And so before we go today, I do have to give a shout out to all of those Fulda Falcons out there, Fulda Germany. Woo, woo, what's up? So you all have to admit we had some badasses come out of that school, you know, two of them right here, but we have several more. So uh, if you guys don't know about the Fulda Falcon history, do some research on that. A lot of badasses walking around. Um, and also, do you have a picture you're going to share? I thought you were going to throw up a picture or something like that. Yeah, normally I keep my yearbook here handy. I was going to flash it up there to me. If I don't see it now, I must have took it out of my drawer. And that would have been great. Yeah. So everyone can see our logo. We have T-shirts. We have reunions. Uh, speaking of which, we need to put together another reunion. But yes. uh, a lot of great people came out of that school. And it's just amazing when you think about it. It's such a small school in a small city. But, uh, again, a lot of yeah. love. Yeah, a lot of talent too. Yeah, a lot of Super a lot talent. of talent. Super talented. It's amazing. Yeah, we still we still talk, which again yeah. is amazing. We talk a lot. But uh, with that, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode. Do not hit the stop button yet. We're going to put Sean's information up on the screen in the outro, so make sure you reach out to him. As you can see, loaded with wisdom, um, experience both in the military leadership world, corporate leadership world. A great speaker. Um, you know, he's very intelligent, a thoughtful man, approaches life from an accountability standpoint, and I'm a witness to that. So make sure you reach out to him. And with that, I say thank you all. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. All right. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. And I want to thank our guest today, Mr. Sean Lott, and sharing his personal journey of accountability. Sean is an expert in this field. So if you're struggling with personal accountability, or holding your team accountable, please reach out to Sean. His information is up on the screen right now. And I also want to remind you about my book coming out in March of 2023 called My Great Aunt Edna, The Golden Girl of Leadership. It will be available in Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and wherever books are sold. So make sure to get your copy. And also make sure you like and subscribe to this channel to get updates from other great leaders from all over the world who can give you bite-sized nuggets of wisdom that you can use in your own leadership journey. And with that, I say thank you. May your week be excellent and God bless.